We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. How's everyone doing? We all right? So a few years ago, I felt like God was putting it on my heart to befriend a guy that I knew. We were kind of in each other's lives, but we didn't really know each other particularly well at this point. But I felt that God was putting it on my heart to reach out to this guy and really make an effort to befriend him. So yeah, I didn't really know this guy particularly well at the time, and I felt like God was, was, wanted me to befriend him. I felt like God was saying he needed a friend. He was going through quite a hard time. He was lonely. He was struggling. There was a lot going on in his life, and he needed to see God's love for him shown in a practical way, and that I could play a part in doing that. At first, I was pretty excited by this. I mean, it was, it was exciting to feel like I was hearing from God for a start. Um, and I thought, you know, what an honour that I could play a part, no matter how big or small, in just letting this guy know how much God loves him in a way of just becoming his friend. So I started making more effort with him, chatting with him, showing interest, trying to find, you know, common ground, see if there's stuff that we have in common, and just looking for ways to see how our lives might be able to overlap. But as I was getting to know this guy, I started to realise a few things. I realised that we had pretty much nothing in common, that we didn't really see eye to eye on much, and if I'm honest, I found him really annoying. Yeah, so it was difficult. It wasn't anywhere as easy or as exciting as I was thinking it would be. And so in the end, I just gave up. If I saw him, I'd say hello, you know, how you doing? Keep the talk to a minimal, make myself feel a little bit like, yeah, I'm kind of doing what I felt. And then I would move on with my life and not really think about him. Effectively, I didn't really care about him. Um, I was much more interested in doing my own thing. Um, and getting on with my life. I was willing to go so far with him, but as soon as it got difficult, a bit uncomfortable, hard, I just thought, nah, this ain't for me. And to a large extent, my attitude of wanting to put myself first instead of this guy is quite reflective of the culture that we live in. This country is very proud to promote individualism, you know, do what feels right for you. A recent survey ranked the UK as the most individualistic country in the EU. That's first out of 28, I think. And while individualism has its pros, it definitely comes with a lot of cons. So much so that the government has seen a need to appoint a minister for loneliness. And some of the reasons for this new position are things like loneliness affecting about 9 million people in the UK. And research has shown that loneliness can be as unhealthy for you as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is really lovely research. Research has also found that British people are the least likely to take care of our loved ones than the rest of Europe. So we're the least likely to take care of our loved ones compared to Europe. So in many ways, individualism is the order of the day especially 
in the country that we live in. However, I know God has called us to be something quite different. Philippians 2 verse 15 calls us to shine like stars in the sky in this crooked and warped generation. And as I think about individualism in our society and how it affects people in a negative way, I've been wondering how it might look for me and for us to shine like stars in our communities, in our circles, amongst the people that we're interacting with. So a common phrase that's used in this church is shared life. It's something that's talked about quite a lot in this church, but that phrase might not mean anything to everyone here. So what do we mean by it? Acts 4, verses 32 to 35. I'm going to read in a minute, just to give a bit of context. Acts 4, so this is right at the beginning of Acts. So Jesus has, has come, he's shared his teachings, he's said amazing things, he's done amazing things, particularly with his 12 disciples. They've kind of witnessed it firsthand, everything he's doing. He's then been crucified, he's resurrected, and he's, and he's now ascended to heaven, and he's left them with instructions to kind of go out and share the gospel. So in Acts 4, at the beginning, they're kind of working out what does church look like. It's kind of the first look at how church works. And this is what it says. So this is Acts 4, verse 32 onwards. All the believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So I'd describe shared life as real friendship, really caring and going above and beyond for each other. It's walking together, joining together and opening up our lives to one another in real and meaningful ways. Act 2 describes the believers as having everything in common. Who has everything in common? I mean, it's quite, it's quite amazing when you read it. But recently, I've had to consider for myself... Am I really experiencing all that God has for me in this? Because when I read that bit from Acts 4, I'm, I don't know if I'm there. Actually, I do. I'm not there. I'm not there. So what does it mean to have everything in common? Am I really willing to sacrifice and in all truth care about you lot as much as God wants me to? So I've been thinking about, so how does shared life look at the moment how do I see it kind of playing out? So there's a few things that I see. So shared life might look like seeing each other in meetings or different church functions, different things that you serve in. Socialising, you know, maybe a little games night. Us Christians love a games night, don't we? Um, or crisis response. I know if I've got an issue, whatever it is, if it's emotional, practical, anything, I know that there's people that, quite a few people in this building that I can call and they'll be there for me. And none of these things are wrong. Like, they're all really good things. Let me make that clear. And I can think of so many times, like I said, that people in this church particularly have gone above and beyond for me. And that's had a really positive impact on my life. And I thought I'd share just one story. And honestly, I had so many to choose from. But 
I thought of a time when I was probably about 10 years ago. Probably, yeah, I was probably about 20. Um, and I was still... I've been driving for a couple of years, but I was, you know, not the accomplished driver that I am now. And uh, I, was, I was driving in... A, where was I? I was, oh, yeah. I was turning onto Green Street, just by Upton Park Station. And I was kind of turning up from a, a, a quiet road onto Green Street, which is quite a busy road. And um, I thought the car in front of me had, had gone and turned. But he hadn't. So I just kind of like went into him at sort of the back side. It was a, it, I was going at like five miles an hour. It was no like big pile-up. But I'd never crashed into anyone before. So I sort of got out of the car and I was really scared. And this bloke was having a go at me and whatever. It didn't really look like there was much trouble at the time in his car, but he was like, well, let me take your number, because if I drive down the road and suddenly there's something wrong with the wheel, what am I going to do, kind of thing. So I said, cool. And uh, then he rang me the next day. And uh, he was like, yeah, I've got this problem, I've got that problem. And I was thinking, oh, no, like, what, what am I going to do? So I did what I always do. I called my dad. I said, dad, what do I do? And... Um, my dad chatted with Rob Burrows. And Rob and Lorna are a couple in the church that my family particularly are very close with. And um, he said, I'll call Rob. Like, Rob. Rob will know what to do. And uh, he called Rob, and Rob called me and said, what's going on? And Rob went out of his way to go and meet this guy in Forest Gate. I think it would have been, it would definitely have been not in his own time, at his lunch break or while he wasn't working, in his own time, when I met this guy, because Rob's good with cars, but he's also just clearly a very good guy, and went and checked to see what was going on, and we was able to sort it out, and uh, Rob, Rob dealt with it for me, and I was thinking about that, and I was like, wow, that's, that's amazing, you know, I don't want to play down something like that, that was just real care, something that Rob done out of his love for me. Um, yeah, so like, things like that, great, you know, and I don't ever want to play those things down. I asked my family if they could think of any examples, and they had loads, um, but my sister shared one with me. So, my sister and, uh, oh, her husband, they, um, so Laura and Dan, they recently moved into a bungalow in Brentwood, which they were already living in that area, but they moved into a bungalow, and then they had a baby, my niece, Sienna, about... Ten days later, something, something like that. Four days later. All right. Four days <laughs> after moving into a bungalow. And uh, as you can imagine, it was quite a busy time. They were also preparing to get married. So a lot was going on. And um, then, I won't go into the details, but I'll just say they had some plumbing issues. There was a lot of raw sewage just kind of in the house. And my sister's not the type to get stressed or, you know. So I think she told... She, told her Hannah Hilton, who's someone that she's good friends with, and, but she'd said to Hannah, don't come over, it's fine, you know, everything's all right. But Hannah came over, came fully prepared, sorted out loads of stuff, the washing, took Laura and Sienna out for lunch, and it just felt like such a display of love to my sister. And again, like, these things are amazing. I could, I could go on, there's so many people in this room, people like Jamie, Lincoln, I could go on for ages, Ken, so many people that have done amazing things. But I think in myself, I found myself becoming a little bit lethargic and a bit of a passenger in it all. And I think that God is calling me to more. And maybe this is something that he's calling for some of us here. So I've been thinking, I can say shared life quite easily without actually meaning anything by it. And that sometimes can be the problem when you put like a, a coin on things. So I really want to think of it as real friendship or overlapping lives. How am I going to let my life overlap with others. Uh, that's what I want to think about. So, 
And a lot of you may be doing this already, so I don't want to see this as any sort of attack or, you know, not telling anyone off. This is just something that's been on my heart and something that I wanted to share. But some of you might be just thinking, why bother? I don't want to have to help some idiot 20-year-old 20, 20 that's decided to crash into someone at five miles an hour. You know, I've got, I've got my life to live. I've got a lot going on. And like that first story I shared about myself showed, it, it takes effort. Um, and honestly, a lot of the time, I just don't want to. Uh, I can't be bothered. I just want to chill out. I want to do my thing. I want to give people so much, but then still hold back and feel like I'm in control of my life. It's inconvenient. There's a cost to it. It might involve me being challenged or areas of my life being exposed that I'm not particularly comfortable with. So why would I want to do that? What, why should I put myself through that process? And ultimately, I, I don't want to live a life that is about what I want. I want it to be about what Jesus wants. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says that the love of Christ controls us. So if I'm being controlled by Jesus' love, then I want to follow his example. And when it comes to opening up life and sharing it and letting it overlap with others, Jesus set quite the example with this. So I want to spend a short time just looking at a few examples, a couple of examples of how he did that and what caused him to do that. And the first thing you can't help but notice about Jesus is he always acted out of his love for people, not worrying about what might cause him discomfort or inconvenience. I want to look at a story in Matthew 14, which I'm sure the majority of us would know, um, whether we've read it or we, we would have heard about it. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000, one of his most famous miracles. But what I hadn't noticed about this story until very recently when I was listening to a teaching about it was the story, was what happens right before Jesus feeds the 5,000. And that's what I want to I wanna focus on. So I'm going to start in Matthew 14, verse 6. And just for a bit of context, it's about where we're going to pick up the story. It's talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. Um, he was a close colleague, someone that he'd worked along. He, he played a key role in making the way for Jesus. You know. And at this point in the story, John the Baptist is in prison. He's been imprisoned by Herod, who was the Roman ruler of the region where Jesus was ministering. And he hadn't been in prison for actually doing anything wrong. He'd been in prison for standing up for righteousness and what he felt was right. But John the Baptist is in prison. Okay, So that's why I'm picking up the story. And I'm going to go from verse 6. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias, that was his wife, danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Which is pretty stupid. Prompted by her mother, she said... Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. So John the Baptist has done nothing wrong. Um... He's been imprisoned for, for doing no wrong, and then he's beheaded, murdered in a really gruesome way because Herod just said something very stupid. So I'm going to read from verse 13 now. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So I'm going to just stop right there. 
So this is something that I hadn't noticed. That's Jesus' cousin. So Jesus has just been told that his cousin has been murdered in a pretty gruesome way. That was someone that he knew, someone that he'd worked with. It was, it was his close family member. And what does it say he wanted to do? He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus wanted to get away. He didn't want to be around people. He wanted to be by himself, have no one around. And that's quite understandable. I can't imagine what he would have been feeling. He would have been feeling grief, sadness, terror. He's trying to process the whole thing. He's just been told that his cousin has been beheaded. And he's trying to work out whatever, what, what is going on, what that means, and just how do you come to terms with something like that? I'm going to pick up from 13. So he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And I'm not going to read on because of time, but he then goes on to do what we've probably all heard about in some way or another, feed the 5,000. Now, if that was me, I think I would have been very tempted to put how I was feeling before the people I saw. I would have thought, no, my cousin's just been murdered. I haven't got time for people right now. I need to be by myself. But Jesus was moved by compassion to the point that he put aside how he was feeling. He healed the sick. He spent time. Then, obviously, this this great miracle happens. And his compassion was the driving force that made him do that, to put the needs of others ahead of himself. And that's amazing. That is where I want to be. So I was thinking about times in my life when I've seen that, com- that sort of compassion poured out on me. And I thought of the time, it's a bit of an embarrassing story, but I always embarrass myself. So, um, A couple of years ago, I'd just come out of, I'd just ended a relationship. It was a, a, th- a three-year relationship. I was feeling very sad. Um, and I was spending some time with Dan and Abigail, who are a couple in the church who I'm really good friends with. Um, they're some of my best friends. And I was round at Dan and Abigail's and I was I'm known to shed a tear from time to time, let's be honest. And um, I was emotional. I was just telling them how I was feeling. You know, they're my mates. I was just, they were just there for me. They were being really good friends. And then they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, yeah, that's fine. And so as they were praying, Dan just bursts into tears. I mean, like, he was giving me a run for my money. And he just burst into tears and he just gave me a big hug. And that was such a powerful display of compassion. They were being good friends anyway. And most friends, they're going to be there for their mate in a hard time, do you know what I mean? In a breakup or whatever's going on. But Dan cared to the point that it was inconvenient for him, that he was actually feeling my pain. And that really sticks out to me. That is the level that I want to be at. I want to care about people to the point where it actually bothers me. And it won't always necessarily look like bursting into tears or whatever. It can look in very different in many different ways, but it's the compassion. It's the real genuine care that goes beyond what is comfortable. That is the example that Jesus set. I was looking, again, I was looking at other examples of how Jesus um, was with the people around him. And obviously he spent a lot of time, particularly with his 12 disciples. And 
One thing I noticed was Jesus was so open with them to the point that he would make himself vulnerable. And I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew chapter 26. So at this point in the story, Jesus, he knows that the end is coming soon. He knows that he's, he's going to die. And he's naturally feeling bothered about that. So that's kind of where he's at in the point. So I'm going to read from verse 36 of Matthew 26. And it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So Jesus was, he was these guys' teacher. He was their leader. But he made himself vulnerable. He told them how he was feeling. He told them what he needed. He didn't put on an act or a facade or feel like, okay, these people think, you know, I need them to think that I'm always, I've always got it together. But he was willing to make himself vulnerable. And that can be uncomfortable. And it can be quite painful sometimes if you make yourself vulnerable to someone and they don't necessarily receive you in, in, in the way that you're hoping. Jesus, he knows what it feels like to be left out, let down by the people that, that were closest to him. But it's still something that he did. And that is what he's calling us to. Jesus knew the importance of spending time with the people that he was walking his life through with. There's a verse in John chapter 3, it's verse 22, I love it. It just says, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Jesus saw the importance of spending time with those guys because when you spend time with people, you really see what's going on. And that goes beyond socialising, which is great, you know, but really getting down to the nitty-gritty and knowing what is going on for people. And it reminded me of a time when I recently went round to... Um, Dan and Heidi, again, Dan and Heidi are a family, they're a couple in the church that I'm very close with. I was going around to their house one evening, and I've spent quite a bit of time with them, so they know me quite well. And I remember I walked through the door, I think I walked through to their kitchen. Dan saw me and said, uh, oh good, you're here, you can help Kira Lynn with her homework. Uh, no hello, no, do you want a drink, you know, do you want any, uh, do you want any food? Now, I'm not saying that was an insult, actually, it, it made me feel like part of the family. And to be honest, I don't think I was very helpful with Kirillin in our homework, but that's not the point that I'm really trying to make. There was a, a closeness, a comfort, a just a... We knew each other, so they knew that if I could help, I would want to, you know? And I think that that's just a very small example of the type of thing that Jesus wants for us. So there are just a few things that I've been thinking. So we can't overlap our lives out of a feeling of guilt or a sense of pressure like oh I really should you know I really should get to know this person I really should let them in because then we're not really giving ourselves it's always going to feel like a, a chore or like a job that we have to do we have to know that God is the provider he's he's the source giving me all that I need and he sent his son Jesus as an outpouring of his love so when I'm convinced of that I can enter in wholeheartedly and give myself to people in the way that Jesus did. And when I do that, sometimes I'll experience a, a real deep connection with someone and a, a friendship might come out of that. And that's, that's lovely. I love that. I love having friends. 
But even if that doesn't happen, even if it maybe it does feel a bit awkward or oh, we don't necessarily like the same music or we don't, you know, I, I'm not interested in what they're interested in. I still want to give myself to the people in my life because that's what Jesus did. That's what pleases him. And that's where the fullness of life really is. So for this to happen, it can't be out of my own effort. I have to experience Jesus' love for myself. Because then when I love, I can't help but want to overlap my life with you guys. Because if I don't love you, then I'm not really willing to spend my energy, my time, or my money on anything to do with it. And that's not a full embrace. Jesus left his throne room to come and let his life overlap with others to the point that he gave his life for us. And because he did that, his love is now available for us to access and act in the same way. And as we practice overlapping our lives with one another in this church community, we can be looking to God for opportunities to de demonstrate this to our wider friendship circles, to our family, in our workplaces. And it might look different, but we have to keep Jesus' example at the heart. And it's something that other people in our lives will see and they'll be impacted by it. So let's just be asking God what he has for us in this and how, he, how is he wanting us to overlap our lives more with each other. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk, on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at lifelineuk.com.